Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go to Psalm 27. I'm not going to keep you too long. I'm not like Pastor Rodney. But I do love the Word. How many of you love the Word of God? I'm going to share with you kind of the hallmark of who we are. In most of our crusades or revival meetings, somewhere along the way we begin with this passage of Scripture. Thank you, baby. Don't you enjoy my wife? Is she awesome? Amen. love what we get to do together. Amen. Isn't it fun? Hallelujah. I think it'll be fine. There we go. That'll work. Awesome. The dream job. Next week we will be in, uh, in uh, Israel. We'll be there for eight days and uh, uh, this will be our third, third time to go. And then uh, the week after that we go back to the Philippines. We'll be there for Two more weeks, and then we'll be home uh, the 1st of February. So this is the beginning. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get here. Pastor Corey has asked us many times to come, and it's just never worked. And uh, this time I said, you know what? I called him. I said, I know it's, it's winter time, and all of that. They said it's not the prettiest time to come to Istanbul, but you look beautiful to me. Okay? So uh, we got here as quickly as we could. We love your pastors. Pastor Gobo, we love you as well. It's nice to meet you guys. And it's, this man's got a great, great heart. And we connected very quickly. And, uh, but we love Pastor Corey and Rose. And, and uh, she's a worshiper. And so that, that spirit is in this house. But I want to I read a passage to you. And, and I want to read it out of the Amplified uh, Psalm 27. So uh, if you'll... Follow along with me, then I've got some things I want to share about that. The Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear or dread? The Lord is the refuge and the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, even then in this will I be confident. Verse 4. This is the primary verses, and then we'll probably share a few more. But anyway, one thing have I asked of the Lord. The King James says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. And he says that I will seek after. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. The Amplified says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in His presence all the days of my life, to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord, and to meditate, consider, and inquire in His temple. For in the day of trouble he will hide me in his shelter. In the secret place of his tent will he hide me. He will set me high upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted above all my enemies round about me. 
And in his tent I will offer sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. You see, some people, you know, they, they, they think worship is just meditation. Just sit there and be quiet, close your eyes. But there's something about the shout of the Lord. There's something about the shout of the believer, of the redeemed. One day when we stand before the Lord, all the host of heaven, the angels, those that have cried, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, will fold their wings and for once in history they will be quiet. And all the redeemed will declare the song of the redeemed. We'll get to sing a song they cannot sing because we were able to make a choice. To receive Christ into our heart and who he is to be released in our life. Not to be bottled up and and hid, but that what's in you would come out of you. That's what I love about worship. Worship really is the, the cry of the believer. Don't tell me you love Jesus, but you don't like to worship. I know a lot of preachers, they like to stay back in the back till after everything's said and done, then come out after all the worship. And I don't know why they do that, because I, I'd love to be in the midst of He said, you, you stay back here. If you, and I said, no, 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 we're here, we're ready to go. We're ready to come and worship. A lot of people today don't know how to worship. They come to the show. In America, we know how to put on a show. We have all the lights, all the smoke. We have all the things that you you would want to have to put on a show. But people leave dead just like they came. They go away empty and lacking because they just came and watched the show. They never really had an opportunity to have an encounter with God. But that's what our life is really all about. We've had an encounter with God. Don't tell me you've, you've had an encounter with God, but there's no change. You still like your sin. You still like to do the things of the world. Because whenever I met my Christ, something happened on the inside of my life. I couldn't do things the same way I used to do them. He became the love of my life. I knew at the age of 12 that I was going to be a minister. I didn't know what it would look like or what it would sound like. But I knew that my life was going to be hid in Him. That was in the last century. Long time ago. Back then it was either a missionary, a preacher, or a song director. But in my life, I've been able to do all three. And to carry the sound of heaven around the world. But I love what David is saying here. He said, Lord, hear when I cry aloud. Have mercy and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said... Seek my face. Inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. A lot of people act like they don't need God. I don't know about you, but I can't live without Him. I need Him. I need Him. Harden not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, cast me not away. Don't forsake me, O God of my salvation. 
<coughs> Although my father and my mother have forsaken me, yet the Lord will take me up. Adopt me as his child. You see, on this earth, I, I have been privileged to have a father who loved me. I've seen Jesus in my father. But a lot of people don't get that privilege. A lot of people, you know, like we say, we, tr we do a lot of ministry in the Philippines. They're just like in America, the fathers are absent because most of them are overseas working. We need godly men to step up. Come on, somebody. Amen. Come on now. We need godly men to take their place in the kingdom of God and in the family. Children need you. They need to see you bow your knee to a holy God. They need to see you lift your hands in worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In this passage of Scripture, there's some things that, that, that stir my heart. Our worship is full of the Word. In America, we, we take a lot of our music now from other countries. And, you know, there's, I could name four or five different great churches out there where a lot of people get their music. But it's more than just regurgitating someone else's song. That song needs to be your song. When I grab a song, I make that song my song. That song has to become your song. It has to become your song. And that's why I love songs that are filled with the Word of God. In this passage of Scripture, we see about six things. And I want to talk about those here just for a moment. In this passage of Scripture, the psalmist David, you know, I love pictures. The first time that I went to, to Israel to, to go and see the places where Jesus walked, one of the places they took us to was the, the excavation point of uh, the city of David where they believed David, his palace was and all those things. And it's just to the right of the Temple Mount. And whenever I read this passage, I can just see David as he says, one thing have I desired. If I could have what I want, I'd put my king-size bed on that mountain. I'd put my bed in that house. But he couldn't do it because he was from the wrong tribe. He couldn't even go and minister in the temple because he wasn't a Levite. He was from the house of Judah. But I hear the cry of his heart. This afternoon at our, at our next session or our next meeting, we're going to talk about Pentecost because what David was really crying for was Pentecost. The power of Pentecost being released in his life. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. How many of you know that David's house was beautiful? Arrayed in gold, fine linen, whatever you wanted. David was a great warrior, but he was a great worshiper. If he wanted another chariot overlaid with gold with white chargers, he knew where to find them and he had the money to buy it. But more than that, he wanted his house in the house of the Lord. Because he longed for the glory, the presence of God more than anything else. David was a man. He made mistakes just like we make mistakes. When he was supposed to be out fighting, 
And if you've ever stood there on the, 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 the excavation of the city of David right there, you can see how easy it would be for him just to gaze over that, that little cliff there and see another man's wife as she's bathing. But one thing have I desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. The first thing you have to understand to be a worshiper, you've got to love the house of the Lord. You've got to love the house of the Lord. There are a lot of people that don't like coming to church. How in the world can you be a Christian and not love coming to church? I know people that they figure out every reason in the world not to come to church. Don't tell me you're a worshiper. And you don't want to come and be with God's people. This is our company, man. You're part of my family. Don't tell me you don't want to be around me. You hurt my feelings. You're my family. My eyes might be blue and yours may be brown, but you're my family. <laughs> to dwell in the house of the Lord. Number two, to be hid in his pavilion. Oh, hide me in your great pavilion. All that I need I find in you. In the secret place. You see, God has a place for you. It's a place of protection. The secret place. The enemy cannot find you there. People say, how do you know? Because it's secret. Come on now. The pavilion of God. Place of safety. Place of protection. What did Jesus say as he looked over the city of Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you unto myself. As a hen gathereth her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. He wants to cover you. But you have to want to let him. One thing, David said, one thing I desire, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord. Don't come visit God. Come on, don't come visit God on Sunday. Well, I'm going to go do my... I'm just going to let God have an hour and a half, two, three hours, and then I'll do my own thing the rest of the week. No, no, no. We dwell in his presence, and we're hid in his pavilion. It's a place of safety. You know, I've been in a few places to where in the natural realm I felt like I was, I was not where I was supposed to be. But by the Holy Ghost, I knew I was on divine assignment. I remember one time we were in Cairo, Egypt, with Pastor Rodney. And we head out into the desert to go to another city. And all we had, was, permission-wise, was one letter that said we had the right to be there. One letter. Written by someone we didn't even know. And we head out into the desert and we come to a big military. Uh, we had to cross this place and it's a big checkpoint. We have a military guy in front and one behind, all the guns and everything, you know, to escort and all this stuff. And you get to this one place, make you stop. They're standing in the middle of the road, and they come with their AK-47s, and they walk around. They look in the car, and they hand him the letter. And he looks at the letter. He looks at us. Reads the letter and looks at us. 
And then he took the letter and he, he threw it back and he says, you can go. Like he was mad he couldn't take us and do something with us. Burundi. When we got ready to go to Burundi to minister there, it sits between the Congo and Rwanda, little bitty country. And I told my friends in South Africa, we're going to Burundi to minister. And they go, we don't even go there. <laughs> They're at war. I said, well, I've been invited. And they said, you should not go. I said, why? They said, because we've been there and they don't like us. So we go and on the way there, they stop in Rwanda and they pick up three different men, suits, and they, oh, I mean, everybody, the whole attitude of the plane changes when these three men get on the plane. Come to find out it was the ex-president who had put the pastor I'm going to go see in prison for his faith. And so we go to get off the plane and I watch the pastor. Now, he's been put in prison by this man. Now, he was out in about eight weeks or nine weeks, but the church doubled in size while he was in prison. And when he came out, <clears throat> when he came out of prison, his, his uh, associate there, he said, Pastor, we, haven't, we don't have enough chairs. He said, what do you mean we don't have? He said, the church has doubled while you've been in. He said, what do you mean? What did you do? He said, we didn't do anything. The people are coming to see the pastor that was put in prison for his faith. Yeah, go again. So, so we watched these three men come off the plane, and, and Pastor Edmond is waiting for us to come off the plane. So I watch him greet the ex-president, the one that's, I don't know all this, see, at the time. But he greets him with honor, the man that had him put in prison. We get off the plane, go through customs, get in the car, and I get in, start to get in the front seat, and they've already seated my wife in the back seat. And, all, I mean, I don't, I don't know where he came from, but this military beret, AK-47, sits down in the back seat with my wife. And I went, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And then, and then the pastor, he said, he's with me. Don't worry about it. He's with me. He's with me. And so we go through the week. And the man that had taken me around, whenever the pastor was put in prison, this president sent one of his sharpshooters to church to take out the pastor. He said, church is going to grow. I'll just kill the pastor. And he said, they'll destroy the church. This man comes, sits in the back row of the church. And they go through praise and worship. Three hours later, he goes to sleep on the back row. True story. Went to sleep on the back row. So whenever the invitation, the music started up again, he woke up, and he sees people walking to the front. He said, this is my cue. He said, I'll walk to the front. He said, I'll take the preacher out. Halfway down the aisle. True story. Halfway down the aisle, the fire of God hit him. He fell on his knees, and he began to weep. And he gave his heart to Christ. Gave his heart to Christ. Gave his heart to Christ. He was that pastor's personal armor bodyguard. And he was our chauffeur the whole time we were there. So we get ready to leave at the end of the week to leave Burundi. And Pastor Edmond said, listen, what was his name? 
can't Dale. He said, Dale's going to take you to the airport. I said, okay. So, oh, yeah. Pastor told me, he said, you need to go early. I said, what do you mean? He said, sometimes the plane comes early and they leave early. <laughs> True story. True story. So at 1030, we're supposed to leave at 1 in the morning. 1030, I'm going to the airport. Sure enough, here comes the plane. 11 o'clock, it lands. We're gone by about 11.45. We're off an hour or so early. But uh, so we're going to the airport. And Dale's driving us. And he just has on regular clothes. But he gets to the first checkpoint. And they're checking under your car, you know, with all this kind of stuff. And Dale rolls down his window. And the guard, he looks up and he goes, salutes Dale. Because he knew him. Next checkpoint. Same thing. So I've been in a few places to where in the natural realm, it was a little scary. But when you're hid in God's pavilion. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. People told they said, you're going where? I'm going to Turkey. They said, that's where they put that preacher in prison. <laughs> I said, that was one preacher. One. Americans are crazy. It's like they pull out all of your major prayer warriors because you're going to Turkey. Emergency tongues. Joe's going to Joe and Becky going to going to Turkey. Anyway, number three, to be lifted above your enemies. Come on now. How many of you have an enemy or two? I, I've got one or two out there. The greatest enemy is Satan. He doesn't like what you do. He doesn't like that you're here. He doesn't like that you've taken a stand. He doesn't like that you're in Bible school, that you're preparing for ministry. He don't like it. But guess what? It don't matter. You've been lifted above. We've been seated together with him in heavenly places far above all. Come on, y'all. All principalities, all powers. No devil in hell can keep you from what God's called you to do. You need to know who you are. You're the bride of Christ. You're an heir of salvation. You're a chosen one. You're the apple of his eye. Favor ain't fair. Come on now. I was in South Africa there in, in Pretoria, ministry. And it was right after uh, all the stuff, nearly 20 years ago. And it was still very unsafe. And uh, we were driving all of our kids ministering there. And I went to Nando's to get some chicken. Anybody ever heard of Nando's? <laughs> Make you pray in tongues. And so we were going to get all of our, get some chicken and go back to the hotel. And I pull up, and this is after service. So it's about, and after Pastor Rodney, so it's 1 o'clock in the morning. And so I pull into Nando's, I'm going to get some chicken. And a brand new Mercedes pulls in. Big black African gentleman in a, I mean, a beautiful suit like you have on. Just gorgeous suit, man. <laughs> And he had a beautiful wife on his arm, you know. And, and, he, and he walks around the car and he comes to my door and he goes, he goes, you're in the wrong place. 
I said, excuse me? He said, you don't belong here. You're in the wrong place. I said, no, I'm at the right place. It's a Nando's. I came for chicken. <laughs> My kids are hungry. We came for chicken. He said, no, it's unsafe. You don't need to be here. You need to go. You need to go. As quick as you can, you need to. I said, as soon as I get my chicken, I will go. <laughs> as the Lord is my witness, he goes and his wife sits down at a table outside right there. And a young boy comes running by and grabs her purse and runs off. And I mean, immediately, this man in his beautiful suit, three-piece suit and everything, and about Three people from Nando's go chasing this little boy. And in a minute, here they come back, and they've got that young boy by the scruff of the neck. And they got the purse in their hand. And, then, and he looks at me, and he goes, I told you, you're in the wrong place. I said, they took your purse, not my purse. You're in the wrong place. Every one of us have enemies. There are people that want to take you out. But whenever you're hid in God's pavilion, when his hand is on your life, he will take your places that in the natural realm, they're not real safe. But it's the safest place to be. Oh, my God. I wouldn't change what we get to do for anything. To be lifted above. There's something about worship. When you begin to worship the king, it lifts you to a place. And it's a sacrifice. Have you been around some people that you get around and say, well, how are you doing today? It's the wrong thing to ask them. Because you ask them, how are you doing? They go, well. And then for the next 30 minutes, they tell you how bad everything is. I don't hang around those kind of people. I don't like those. I love them. But I don't like them. I love them from a distance. Some people just, it's like, it's like a weight on you. It's like, I'm dragging old John. Come on, John. You can put whoever's name you want there. But some people just feel like you're dragging them everywhere. Come on, man. Lift up your head. Who is this king of glory? The Lord's strong in that's who we serve. We serve the Almighty. We serve the, when we bring a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of joy. It's a song. For somebody here today, God's going to change your song. He's going to change the song that comes out of your mouth. Well, Pastor, you don't know where I came from. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter who dropped you on your head or how many times you were dropped. Well, I was dropped as a baby. Get over it. Every one of us were dropped. I'd tell something real funny, but I'm not going to go there right now. For somebody here today, God wants to give you a new song. How do you know you're a worshiper? Because there's a song. You don't have to come to church to have a song. One thing about me, I had a pastor, a, a pastor friend that we love to play golf together. And whenever I play golf, I'll sing and I'll start singing in the Holy Ghost and just having fun. And he would tell me, he said, Joe, listen, we're here to play golf. Don't sing in tongues. Because he said, 
He said, I don't know whether you're singing against me or for me. That's true. That's true. I said, what? I said, I'm just singing. That's just who I am. Wherever I'm at, I'll be singing a song. Something's going to be coming out of my spirit. A song. For somebody here today, God wants to change your song. Do you know it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile? You know what that means, don't you? A lot of people working really hard not to smile. The psalmist said, I seek your face. Now, I'm a granddad. I've got nine grandbabies. And my grandbabies, they know that if they ask Poppy for it, that I'm going to do whatever I can to get it to him, whether it's good for him or not. Because that's what grandpas do. You spoil them, fill them full of candy, and send them home. We have a lot of fun with our grandkids. We really do. We have a lot of fun. But my grandbabies, they don't ever come looking for my hand. They're going to get my attention. They're going to look me straight in the eye. And if I'm over here talking or whatever, they'll walk over there. They'll, go, they'll grab my face, puppy. And I'm talking, puppy. 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 They'll call my name till I stop and I go, yes, I am. What? And then he'll tell me what he wants. He's not looking at my hands. When was the last time you got a glimpse of his face? Because he wants you to seek his face. Because everything he has is yours already. Everything he has is yours. If we knew who we were, who you are in him. He loves it whenever we cry out and we worship him. He loves you. He has such an incredible plan for your life. Hallelujah. To dwell in his presence, to be hid in his pavilion, to be lifted above our enemies, to bring that sacrifice of praise, to sing those songs of thanksgiving, and to have a heart of joy. To seek his face, and then last of all, to be taught his ways. The only way you know someone is to spend time with them. It don't take long. You hang around people long enough, you'll know who they are. They'll expose themselves to you. People ask me all the time, Pastor Joel, how do you do what you do? Because it's been a lifelong journey. To know him. Yes, this is my job. And what a job. But it's not what I do. It's who I am. It's who I am. And if I step outside the boundaries. And I begin to waver a little bit. He's quick. To speak. And we're quick to repent. We're on a short leash. A short leash. I don't know how in the world people that are ministers end up over here in adultery and strung out on drugs and alcohol. I, 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 it just blows my mind because somewhere 
they stop being a worshiper. Because if you're a worshiper, you can't live in sin. Not habitual sin. You can't live a life that's against God. That's, that's how important worship is. That's why the Lord got so upset with his children over and over and over again. He said, it's not about your sacrifices. He said, it's always been about your heart. And these just four services, we're going to come and we'll get in the presence of the Lord. And as we do, God's going to begin to reveal himself to you. He's going to open the eyes of your understanding. For someone here today, you've been struggling with your purpose. God wants to show you your purpose. Well, how do I know I'm called when you can't do anything else? It's not about how much you get paid. I tell people all the time, how do you know you're called to ministry? When you'll do it for free. That's how you know. Our Heavenly Father, He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He'll bless your socks off. But I will tell you this, it'll cost you everything you have. Because He don't play. He doesn't play. A consecrated life. Not many people talk about holiness anymore. But a life in God, a worshiper is a holy person person who has laid aside all the weights and the heavy burdens, the things that so easily beset us. It's a consecrated life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything.